You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. The great theologian Augustine of Hippo once said that in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the new, the old is revealed. When we think of the messianic prophecies from this perspective, we see that the Old Testament whispers to us about the coming of the Messiah. Join us during our Advent sermon series titled Rumors of the Messiah, where we confirm the whispered prophecies of the Old Testament that told of the birth, suffering, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, uh, as I said earlier, um, for those who don't know me, my name is Nick Wirens. I serve as one of the pastors here at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Um, if you're new here, uh, I'd encourage you to fill out one of these Connect cards just to make your presence known. If, uh, if you're really new here, you're a first-time guest, we have a gift for you. So if you um, like gifts, uh, you can stop by the welcome table on your way out. Um, we just want to give you a gift and uh, get to know you and introduce ourselves to you. And we are thankful that you are here. Um, if you haven't been with us through the Advent season, we've been going through a sermon series entitled The Rumors of the Messiah, where we have been looking at various rumors throughout the Old Testament, probably better termed promises uh, uh, that we can look at, right? We've looked at uh, the promised seed in Genesis 3, uh, the promised birth in Isaiah 9, and last week we looked at the promised suffering in Isaiah 53. So today in our text, we're going to be looking at the promised resurrection, the promised resurrection. Now, as we look at this promised resurrection, we're, we're going to kind of look at it through two storylines, okay? The first is the promise to Israel, and the second is the promise to us. Now, as I've said before, as we've talked about here at a, as, as a church, um, when we think about the Advent season, walking through the Advent season, the, the idea is that it's a time when we can put ourselves back into the story of God's people, when they anticipated for millennia the coming of the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. What Advent does as we place ourselves back in that story, it helps us then long for um, the, the future coming of Christ. And it also helps us to look every year at the birth of Christ in fresh ways. So today, to, to put ourselves back in the story, we need to remember like what, what's going on in our text, Hosea 6, 1 through 2, right? It, it's, it's in the middle of a book, and there's a lot going on in Israel's history. So just by way of reminder, right, we're at a time in Israel's history, history when they're literally in a civil war, okay? They've, they've divided. So there's two kingdoms that are fighting each other. There's the northern kingdom, Israel, facing the southern kingdom of Judah, now, Hosea, who um, is the, the title uh, prophet, if you will, of, of our text today, um, he's been called by God to be a prophet, a, a truth teller to his people. And his people, just so you know, is, is the northern kingdom, Israel. He's been called to prophesy to them, to speak truth to them. And one of the big things that he has been called to warn Israel about is that their, their window of repentance is closing. Now, like other prophets, Hosea is called to be a living illustration, okay? If you're unfamiliar with the text, God, in, in the initial part, he calls Hosea and tells him to marry a harlot named Gomer. Gomer chases after other men and, and deserts Hosea, but Hosea, throughout the book, we see in spite of the deep sin inflicted upon him, of, in spite of the pain caused to him, he chases after Gomer, his wife, and redeems her from a slave market and restores her to marriage. Now, throughout the book, Hosea's love, compassion, the, in the pursuit of Gomer, they're all meant to mirror God's pursuit of Israel, of his people, 
who, like Gomer, betray God time and time again, pursuing lesser gods. The adultery of Israel, of God's people, is likened to that same adultery of Gomer, Hosea's wife. Now, in the book of Hosea, we see a beautiful picture of of God's faithful pursuits, of his relentless love for his people, of his faithfulness, of his compassion, but also for his justice. This really, in, in the book of Hosea, this is Israel's last hour, in a sense. God has been patient. He, he's been loving, merciful, slow to anger, as it says in the Old Testament. But sin always has to be dealt with. Otherwise, God himself would not be just. <laughs> He'd be a corrupt judge who we can't trust. So Hosea, the prophet... He knows this, and as a representative of his people, he is inviting them back to God. So looking at Hosea 6.1, he invites them to return. He says, come, my people, let us return to the Lord. This call to return to the Lord, it's one that we see all throughout the Old Testament, and kind of in modern terms, we would call it repentance, Right? It's a beautiful picture, this, this phrase, return to the Lord, because I, I think in us it invokes in our mind's eye a, a turning back, which is repentance, right? So returning to the Lord indicates somebody walking in a direction, probably away from the person that's calling them. The call to return requires a turning back and a walking towards that person. That's what repentance is. It's a, a turning away from sin and a turning back to God and his way of being in the world a way that we know leads to flourishing. So to put it in Israel's situation here, returning to the Lord, they were like literally worshiping gods, little crafted idols from other lands, offering sacrifices and giving their affections to other gods. So returning to the Lord for them was turning around from those things, from worshiping those other gods and turning back to God, reorienting their path to return to him. And what's beautiful here is in Hosea's call of repentance to his people, there's an embedded trust of God's kindness. Okay, in the call to return, there's an embedded trust in God's kindness. Hosea's call to repentance means that God can be trusted to turn to. Israel can turn from the other gods and repent and return. They can trust that God will make them well again. Look at that in verse, uh, verse six, or sorry, chapter six, verse one. That's exactly what Hosea is saying. He, he says, for he, God, has torn us, and he, God, will heal us. He, God, has wounded us, and he, God, will bind us up, will bind up our wounds Okay, by God's grace and lots of chocolate milk, I've never broken a bone. And when I say lots of chocolate milk, like five boys, right? Mom throws chocolate milk on the table at dinner, no matter what the dinner, pizza, chicken and macaroni, you know, it's like, I realized later, like people are like, that's so gross. Like, because you're eating tricky chocolate milk, a lot of chocolate milk, but never broken a bone by God's grace, right? Um, thank you. Um, but anyways, right, if you think about breaking bones for a second, right, broken bones are, are, are kind of interesting, right? Because Often, in, in many times, they simply heal on their own, right? 
no medical interventions needed, they can just heal themselves. But because they can heal on themselves, that doesn't mean it's best, right? It's like if you have someone who's got like a crooked wrist, you're like, whoa, that's, that's not how that's supposed to be. What happens a lot of times if someone doesn't realize they've broken a bone is later in life, they experience other complications because their body has kind of adjusted to offset the, the weirdness of what's happened to their broken bone. It leads to later complications in other areas not related to the broken bone. So what has to happen a lot of times, so I've been told, is that, you know, you go in, you ask the doctor to look at this, and then they realize, like, oh, like, your whatever shin bone is, like, really messed up from a prior injury. To fix that, like, we have to actually break the bone. We have to re-break it so that we can set it to be right. But wait a sec, how, how can a good doctor break bones? Like, why would he do that, right? Because doctors are called to heal, Right? So even the severity of what seems to be severe of breaking a, re-breaking a bone to reset it, even though that seems severe, that's ultimately what brings uh, healing. Friends, broken bones that aren't properly dealt with will result in necessary wounding to bring about the right healing. That's, again, the story of Israel's sin. God has been incredibly gracious to them. <laughs> Right? It's like we look at Hosea and we're like, man, like God, can't God give them a break? He's like literally been for millennium calling them back to himself. This isn't like one week and he had, had an off day where he was grumpy in the morning, right? It's like literally millennium. God has been inviting his people to come and turn to them to forsake the lesser gods. But Israel has been unwilling to, to go to the doctor to get proper healing. So now we're at a place where God has to tear to heal. He has to wound so that he can bind up. He has to re-break the bone to reset it properly in a splint. But don't miss this, friends. Hosea, okay, he is confident. (laughs) Do you hear that? He is confident that God will do this. He says, God will heal us. God will bind us up. God is not a doctor that brings us in and he may, like, he will break the bone and may or may not fix it. Hosea believes that God is who he says he is. And the, the promise that Hosea is resting in, that he has received about God's grace and mercy, it's about the blessings that will come through this invitation for his people to return. He says that this will happen. God will do this. I love in Isaiah, one of the, the texts that we look at, uh, I think Isaiah 9, it says, the Lord of heaven's armies will do this, talking about the virgin birth. It's like, the God of everything will take care of it. It's like, okay, I can have confidence in that. The Lord of heaven's armies. That's what Hosea is saying. He said, God will bind us up. So Hosea goes on to promise revival in the land. <laughs> revival in the hearts of his people. He says, he, God, will revive us after two days. And on the third day, he will raise us up. What's the, the significance of the two days here, right? It might, might seem a little weird. Um, well, in ancient Israel, okay, this was kind of the standard for like someone like really being dead, right? It's like after two days, you, the body starts to decompose. Like they, they know, right? It's like the the old chocolate milk, if you will, if we can go back to my chocolate milk, right? When it's on the table and it's a little past the expiration date, you give it the smell test, and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm okay, right? It's like the same thing with, with two days in Israel. They're like, all right, that does not pass the smell test. That dude is really dead, right? So that's what's going on here. 
Hosea is saying, we as a people are really, really dead. <laughs> right? It's like, not like, well, maybe dead, you know, like, could we say like they were resurrected based on natural causes? It's like, no, they are dead. Our wounds like, aren't merely like flesh wounds, right? They're, they're wounds that have led us to death, is what Hosea is saying. But friends, the, the promise that God utters through Hosea is that God will revive them. It's a recognition that there's death, but he will revive them. He will raise them up. Friends, the, the promise of Israel is one of revival, it's of, of healing on the other side of repentance. We have to see that revival is always predica- predicated by returning. <laughs> revival always follows repentance. That's true in Scripture, that's true in our lives. If you know or are familiar with the, the story of the prodigal son, right? This, this kid goes off. He's like, God, get, or Dad, give me, uh, give me my inheritance. Like, you're dead to me. I'm going to go and live my life. You know, it's like it's my college years. Like, I'll go live it up for a little while. You know, like, go have fun. Prodigal son realizes that this life is horrible. <laughs> but he has to return to experience the feast, right? Do you all see that? Returning to the Lord, friends, it, it, um, that always leads to revival, right? The beauty, guys, that Hosea shows us is it's a picture of, of a God who can be trusted to heal us and to bind up our wounds. Like Israel, we ourselves are constantly given the invitation to return to the Lord, either through Scripture, through prayer, through the, the gentle confrontation of a brother or sister in Christ. We're constantly invited to return to the Lord. Perhaps there's things in your life, even now, that you're, you're letting fester. Areas of sin that maybe you haven't fully repented of. But like a bone break or, or an open wound, <laughs> that's only going to lead to further unhealth for you and potentially death. But, but what if we took seriously the invitation to return to the Lord today? Right? It starts first by having trust. Do you hear that? You must trust that God will take care of you when you repent. I think, friends, one of the reasons that we can trust our God when we repent is because he's made good on his promise to Israel. Right? The, the promised resurrection that, that kind of leaned forward, that people longed for, is the promise to us. <coughs> Let's look back at our text real quick. Hosea 6, 1 through 2 says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He, God, will revive us after two days. And on the third day, he will raise us up so that we can live in his presence. Now, one of the great privileges that we have as as the church now on this side of Christ's coming is that we can kind of look back at the Old Testament um, Christologically, right? We can make sense of things that maybe Israel like didn't totally understand, right? It's kind of like if you look at a, a 3D picture or like a, you're at a movie, a 3D movie, right? And you take your glasses off and you're like, the dinosaur like has some red in it and some blue in it. It's like, it doesn't totally look like a dinosaur, but maybe it's a dinosaur. When you put your 3D goggles on, you're like, oh man, that dinosaur is about to like chomp my face, right? 
when we look on this side of Christ, we're able to look back with Christological glasses and make sense of texts that maybe the Old Testament didn't fully, or the, the people of the Old Testament didn't fully understand. And so this text, right, we can look at it and see it as an illusion of the resurrection of Christ. It's both a promise of death, but also a promise of resurrection, friends. Now, the, the promise of resurrection, what I am arguing today is that that's the very evidence that God is trustworthy. That he will be faithful to us when we heed his invitation to return. Paul talks about uh, the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. We read about the, the importance of it in our faith. Look at this with me. It says, now I want to make clear for you, he's writing to the church in Corinth, he says, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you. He's like, let me, let me clarify the message in case there's any confusion, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also re- received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. He's like, all the Instagram posts are out there if you want to go check my sources, okay? Then he appeared to James and then to the apostle. Last of all, as if I was born at the wrong time, what the heck, he also appeared to me. You see, friends, the gospel message that Paul is writing about that he says is a package deal in verses three and four, he says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, right? He passed the like two-day milk smell test. He was really dead, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Why does the the resurrection matter? How how does it connect to the promise that we see in Hosea that, that God will heal the repentant? Well, Paul goes on to say, okay, here's why. Look at 1 Corinthians again. 15 uh, verses 12 through 17, it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as, as, as raised from the dead, how can some of you say, no, 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 there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, if you're denying that aspect of our faith, then not even Christ has been raised, right? And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. This whole thing is a sham. Let's pack it up and go home. Moreover, he says, we are found to be a false witness about God because we have testified wrongly about God. So if I say that there's a resurrection of the dead and that Christ was resurrected, but I'm preaching that, and that's not true, then I'm a false witness of God, not a good place to be. But Paul goes on. He says, for if the dead are not raised, friends, not even Christ has been raised. And verse 17 is the kicker. He repeats it again. And if Christ has not been raised, hear this, your faith is worthless. Why is it worthless? Because you are still in your sins. Friends, if if a gospel message you hear does not include the resurrection, it's not the gospel of the Bible. (laughs) It has to stay together. Why? Let's think about a doctor again, right? If you're sick and you go to the doctor and the doctor's like, well, I mean, I don't really have anything that can fix this for you, but will you just keep coming back here? It's like, no, like, why would I go back to you? Or what if he does give you something and he promises like, I, I'm telling you, like, this will make your bones not ache anymore. You try it for a year, your bones ache worse. 
you're probably not going to take that medicine anymore, and you're definitely not going to go back to that doctor anymore because that medicine is not working. It doesn't do the job. Friends, in the book of Luke, Jesus is referred to as the great physician, right? Jesus is the doctor here. Hear me. Jesus is the doctor, and his medicine is the resurrection. That's the medicine for your, for your waywardness, for your sin. You see, it's only in the resurrection that your sin is dealt with. Romans 3.23, it says the wages of sin is death which means the dollar amount, your credit card debt that you've been swiping all day on, right? The sin that you have swiped on, the balance that you owe is death. (laughs) That's what you owe. Those are your wages. But you know what Colossians 3 says about Christ's resurrection, right? He says he took that debt, (laughs) he took your capital one statement, and he nailed it to the cross. Done taken care of. Friends, the, the, the promise to Israel that God would bind up their wounds when they return to him in repentance is made certain for us in our promise that because of Christ's resurrection, we too will experience resurrection life. Because of this promise to us, we can have confidence that we, in repentance, will experience healing. It's like the reason, the reason we don't repent to God is ultimately because we, we don't trust that he'll bind us up, that he'll heal us. Same reason we don't confess to other brothers and sisters when we're hiding stuff. Because we're scared that they might hurt us. They won't accept us. They won't love us when we say, like, I did this, I said that. That's dark. But friends, what's, what's beautiful about the invitation for us to return to the Lord, the invitation to repent, is that we're not just promised healing, right? It's like healing's that's great. Love to be healed of my, my sickness, my disease. But Hosea actually says, he's like, no, 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 I got, I got something better. <laughs> Look at what he says in Hosea 6 too. He says, he, God, will revive us after two days. And on the third day, he will raise us up so we can live in his presence. <laughs> he'll heal us up, not just for the sake of healing. He'll heal us up so that we can experience God's presence. Right? Healing is great, but experience life with Christ is way better. The medicine is wonderful, but the presence of the great physician is even more glorious. Psalm 16, 11, it says, You make known, God, you make known to me the path of life. You show me the way that I should walk. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I love that. The fullness of joy. <sighs> the fullness of joy. It's not under the tree, y'all. It's not on TikTok. <laughs> It's not in your job. Your job doesn't have the fullness of joy. It's not in your sin, like the stuff you're covering up. That doesn't have the fullness of joy. Even the healing, right? Like just coming and like being saved and getting your fire insurance card. That's not even the goal. The goal is that you will be healed up and bound up so that you could be in God's presence. 
Friends, the promise to Israel is that our God welcomes sinners like you and like me to return back to him. And the promise to us is that he doesn't just welcome us back, right? He heals us. He binds up our wounds. And even better than that, he sets up a a seat for us at the dinner table. He says, come sit down with me. Enjoy my presence where there's fullness of joy. Friends, the the promised resurrection is, is the certitude. It is the very proof that our God is not only able, but willing to do this for us. And he's inviting each of us to trust in this promise. Every week when we gather together, we actually live this reality out, right? That God doesn't just heal us. He doesn't just bind us up. But he invites us to sit at the table with him, to enjoy a feast with him. The feast that we practice every week is called communion. But it points us to a greater feast that one day we'll experience the supper of the lamb. There's no more tears, no more heartache, no more like awkward conversations or weird uncles saying stuff that are like, dang, I don't know if you should say that, (laughs) right? All gone, friends. The thing that we look forward to every week. If you do want to participate in this meal with us called communion, uh, there's individual servings in the pew backs in front of you. Uh, We do ask, if you're not a Christian, that you just abstain from this meal, not because we want to exclude you, but this meal is for those who are about the reality of Christ. But if you are a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, um, we do invite you to take this meal with us so that we can rehearse the gospel message. Um, On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he uh, broke bread. He gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat this bread together. On the same night, Jesus took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples and said, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's take and drink the cup together. Friends, the Apostle Paul, he says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this wine, you're pronouncing Christ's death until he returns. Let's pray. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.